morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, so we're in our last uh, sermon here of the sermon series on fear. And again, we spent the first three weeks discussing this idea of the things that we often are afraid of that we shouldn't be. Right? God is bigger than all of that. God is more powerful uh, than anything we could ever imagine. And as believers, right, we should rest in that hope and that understanding of God. And last week we talked about, though, what is it that we should fear? Right? And we, we talked about the fear of God. That's what we see in, in the book of Proverbs. Right? The beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. And we talked about that sense of you know, what fear really is of, of fearing God. And, and it's a reverence all of understanding the power of the Lord Almighty. And yet at the very same time, understanding the goodness and the love of our Savior and what he's done for us. And out of reverence for that, we get on our knees and we worship. And we talked about how that is that concept of fear. So we're going to finish up today talking about what else, though, is it that we should be afraid of? What should we have a healthy fear of? Well, this whole sermon series, it would be remiss of me if we didn't talk about fear and talk about the idea of fight or flight, right? How could we talk about this idea of fear when we have this natural reaction that happens in our body with, with fear? And uh, so we talk about this idea that when something happens in our lives, we have this option, right? Are we going to attack uh, or are we going to be people that run away, right? So, so fight or flight. And there's actually a whole lot of chemical uh, reactions that happen in your body. And so I'm certainly no doctor, but let me just kind of talk you through some of the medical stuff that goes on. So we really get a sense of like what our body is, is trying to do and really the way that God designed our bodies. So when, when there's this acute level of stress that happens in our life, when, when something is pressing in on you, what, what starts to happen is the body will release all of these hormones inside your body, right? So all these, it's just this giant hormone dump. And as a result of this, those hormones are messengers. And it goes throughout your body and the nervous system picks up on it and goes, something's going on, guys, something's going on, we have to react. And so what then happens is the nervous system allows for the adrenaline uh, to start kicking in. We have these adrenaline glands, glands and that adrenaline starts getting pumped into our body even more. And, and if you don't know, adrenaline is, is kind of what makes our body start working on overdrive, okay? And so now all of a sudden, we have all this adrenaline pumping through our system. And what starts to happen is more, more of that adrenaline and blood flow and oxygen gets pumped to the heart. And that's why all of a sudden the start goes do, 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 because you have more blood and more oxygen flowing. We, we get more blood and more oxygen into our lungs. So now we start breathing heavier, right? <sighs> right, because this is what's going on. We have more oxygen, we have more blood. And the body, this is, this is crazy, is what happens is the body will actually start to dilate or constrict to certain parts of the body. So, so for instance, the digestive system. When we are in some level of fear, 
we don't need to worry about the digestive system. And so our body will actually start to redirect blood and oxygen away from the digestive system and into our important muscles like our hands, our feet, our legs, and our arms. So that's why sometimes when, when, when people have this adrenaline rush, they start to shake or they may get pale and flush because now your body has more blood in certain parts than it normally does and other parts that doesn't. And then the last thing that tends to happen is our eyes will start to dilate more. And the reason why our eyes start to dilate is because we take in more light. And as we take in more light, we actually are able to better see our surroundings. So, so God has uniquely designed our bodies in this time of crisis to basically survive. Right. That, that our body is like now all of a sudden it's like juiced up. It's like there's crisis. There, there's something. There's an aspect of fear. Right. My hands are clenched and I'm ready to do something. I'm either going to start running or I'm going to start fighting. But either way, God has designed our bodies to try to save itself. OK, so that's this whole idea of fight or flight. And it, it's kind of like. Uh, you know, some of you may remember, you know, how Popeye used to eat his spinach. It's like, you know, and like, then you get these, like, that's kind of what's going on in our bodies. It's like all of a sudden we just ate the spinach and, and now we've become Popeye and we're ready to tackle, uh, we're ready to tackle the bad guys. Um, and, and that's why, like, if you've ever heard, like, how sometimes they talk about people being able to lift cars off of people. Yeah, that legitimately happens because you have this adrenaline kick in your body. I don't know if you guys remember this, but this actually happened back in the summer in California. Does anybody remember hearing the news about this girl? So she was in her house and all of a sudden her dogs start barking and she's had four of them and they just start going crazy. And she looks outside and she sees something's trying to attack her dogs. And instantly she goes running out and she shoves this bear off the wall and it had two little cubs with her. And when they interviewed her, she's like, I had no idea what I was doing and I had no idea it was a bear. But she literally went out and shoved, you know, then they get all the bear experts are like, well, one swipe of that thing and she could have been dead. She had no concept of any of that because what happened, fight or flight, the adrenaline kicked in her body to save her dogs that she shoves this full grown bear off the wall and then gets all the, gets them all back in, right? So that's what we're talking about, fight or flight. And so, what I want us to think about for us is, what about us as the church? Where are we at in this world right now? Are we going to run or are we going to fight? What are we going to do with the fear that we've been wrestling with? So if you have your Bibles, you guys can open up to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to be in verse, starting in verse 28. But just to give you a quick structural background to the book of Romans. So, again, if you don't know, what happens is, uh, Romans is, is Paul's treatise of the gospel, right? He, he so beautifully lays out what it means to have the gospel and to be saved. And, and what ends up happening in Rome is the, the Jews were, the Christian Jews were expelled for a certain time period. 
And so what you had left was the Gentile Christians who are now kind of taking over the leadership and the ministry of the church. Well, after several years, the Jews were allowed to come back. And now there's this little bit of attention because the Gentiles essentially were doing church differently than what the Jews were doing. And so there's this issue of like, well, this is how we used to do church. And, and I used to be in charge and I was this elder and this deacon. And, and there's, there's some problems going on in the churches of Rome. And Paul steps in and he says, guys, it's not about any of this. It's not about how we do church and the leadership. He says, we have to be united on the gospel. And so Paul reminds them and says, let me walk you through what the gospel says. And so in chapters one through three, he talks about the problem of sin. He says, sin is all over and all of us are, are going to, to die in our sins. And then in chapters three and four, he talks about the provision for sins, right? That in Christ, we've been justified through our faith. And as a result of being justified in, in our faith and having Christ, he takes the next couple of chapters and says, and this, this is how we become sanctified, and this is how we grow in Christ. And it's largely through the work of the Holy Spirit that happens inside of us that is continually purifying us, right, and moving us more and more to becoming like Christ. And so when he gets to the end of chapter 8, and this is kind of the first section of the book, he says, as a result of all of this understanding, if we take all of these theological ideas, this is what should happen. This is what we need to understand. And this is where we're going to pick up here in Romans chapter 8, verses, uh, starting in verse 23. And so again, this is a culmination of a whole bunch of ideas that Paul's been talking about. So Romans uh, chapter, chapter 8 here. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also justified. And those he also he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So what we need to understand here is this is a result of everything that I just told you guys. He says, you need to understand that in everything, God is working for good. Whatever happens, God is working for good. So when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, when, when Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, uh, Isaac, when Isaac tricked Esau into deceiving him for his inheritance, when Moses was sent down the river in a basket, when the prophets were preaching to a wayward Israel and calling them back and saying, turn back to the Lord, God was working for everybody's good in those moments. When, when John was in the desert and he's eating the locusts, and when Mary goes to the end and she can't find a place to, to give birth to Jesus, God was working in those moments for good. And, and when, when that woman who is, is just desperate and, and she's at the feet of Jesus and she's crying and she's wiping his feet with her tears and her hair, God is working in that moment for good. And when Christ went to the cross and he hung there, God was working for our good. So when we say all things, that's what we literally mean. That everything that happens, God is continuing to work out his goodness. 
And when we, when we say God is working for our good, who are we referring to? We're referring to our as in those who love Christ, those who have proclaimed him as Lord and Savior, those that call him father and he calls his children. That's whose good he is working for. And when we talk about what does that mean by good, what we have to understand is we see good a whole lot differently than the way that the world sees good. Because see, good is defined by God's glory and God's purpose. And, and if, if I'm going to be in Christ and I'm, I'm going to be following him, his good becomes my good. So when I say, is God working things out for my good? He doesn't mean it's not about my comfort and my wants and my desires and my luxuries in life. No, that's not what God means. What it means is God is working for his overall purpose and glory. And therefore, that good is now my good. Again, that looks dramatically different than the way the world understands that. And so as a result, he says, listen, before time, I have established you. I've predestined you guys. I've, I've set you up to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. And so therefore, everything about Christ is now going to be yours. The way that you think and the way that you act and the way that you speak is all going to look and act and sound like the way that Christ does. Because if you have Christ and Christ is in you, you are now in Christ and his good is my good and my good is his good. And so Paul lays that out for us. Okay, And, and he says again, as based off of everything you understand, whatever happens in this world, guys, good is happening. And then he continues. And he says, so what shall we say in response to these things? All these things that we just talked about. All of these things that, that plague us and all of these problems that happen and all of these fears. What shall we say in response? Well, if God is for us, who can be against us? If he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will we not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those who God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. No one. No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So he asked these rhetorical questions, right? These questions that don't really need an answer. He says, if God's for us, who's against us? Who can bring any charge against us? Who is the one who condemns us? He says, guys, let me lay this out for you again. If God is our judge, if, if, if God is our jury, if God is our defense counsel, who is the prosecution that's going to stand against us and condemn us for our crimes? Nobody is. Nobody can. And we have Christ interceding on our behalf of our goodness and righteousness through his son. He says, guys, it's like we're going to court, but the prosecution never shows up. And so he's saying, guys, don't 
be afraid. Don't fear death. Don't fear this world. Not even Satan himself has any power over you. And then he asks another set of rhetorical questions. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I've already just told you, nobody can stand condemning you. Nobody can find you guilty. And as a result, no one can separate my love from you. And he goes through the list. Is trouble, is hardship, is, is nakedness, is the sword, is that going to take your love away from me? Is that going to take my love away from you? No, absolutely not. And, and I get it, that part in there where, where he talks about that we are sheep to be slaughtered. Paul's laying it out very clear to us that we live in a very dangerous world. We live in a world that is longing to chew you up and spit you out. We live in a world that can't wait for the Christians to be out of here. They rejoice over our persecution. We are sheep to be slaughtered in this world because we bring a message of repentance and we call people to their sins and we call people to find the hope and love of Jesus Christ and the world doesn't want it. But despite all of this, he says, guys, you are more than conquerors. We have the entire world against us. We have the forces of darkness and the spiritual powers of Satan and demons that long to see us die. And God says, you are more than conquerors. You are super conquerors. That's literally what that translates to. Guys, we are super heroes. And Paul talks about that. And Paul is so convinced. And he says, don't you get it? We have power. We have immortality at our very fingertips. Nothing can stop us. Nothing can ever rip us from the hands of our Lord and Savior and his love. But see, that's where we, we find the problem, right? Because we read this. And we know that. We, we know it in our heads, but we have to practically live this life, don't we? We have to actually go out and confront the enemy. We have to stand before a world that wants to find us guilty. And that can be hard. And, and, and we, we say, man, I, I wish I was bolder. I wish I had more courage. I, I wish I had more faith. I wish I would have said something when I needed to, or I wish I would have done something. 
I get it. I get it. It's hard. And I think part of the problem is, is because we have the wrong perspective when we are challenged in times of fear, in times of crisis. And let me give you an example of what I mean by that. I, I love Flyers hockey. I love hockey. I've always grown up playing street hockey, and I had a chance to play a little bit of ice hockey in college. It was all, I love hockey. I love going to the games. And, and, and I've been all over in different parts of the stadiums. And, and, you know, when you are down up close against the boards, oh, that is exciting. If you've, if you've never had a chance to experience what that's like. You have the players. They're, they're right there in front of you. You can see their faces. You can look into their eyes. You know, and, and, and the excitement that happens when, when a goal is scored right in front of you and the, 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 the horn goes off and the red buzzer's just blaring and you're banging on the glass. That's intense. Oh, and when a guy gets checked right up against the glass and his face is just smushed and you're just pounding on that like you're doing something about it, that's exciting. That's intense stuff, right? But see, here's the problem that I found when I sit up near the glass. What happens when the puck's at the other end of the ice? I'm straining to see what's going on, and it's like you're trying to like push the glass over so you can see. And then all of a sudden, everyone cheers, and you're like, what happened? And you're like, we scored, and you're like, we scored, who scored? And now you're looking at the screen, waiting for the thing, and everybody's going crazy, and you feel like you've missed something, right? I actually prefer when I go to games, I actually like to sit up high in the second level. I like to sit right in the middle of the second level up high. Sure, I miss the intensity of the glass, but I get a whole new perspective. Because see, what happens is, I don't ever miss a goal when I'm sitting up that high. I don't ever miss a hard check. I don't ever miss a great pass or a great play. And not only that, but I get to see the whole thing unfold. I get to see all five of my players skating and moving in a way that when I'm up against the glass, all I see is the last minute intensity. But I get to see the whole thing play out and I get to go, man, that was a play of beauty. And see, I think that's what happens to us. We get so fixated on what's right in front of us we can't see all of the good that God is doing in our lives. You know, look at this list again. He starts on the left side there, right, with, with the lower and the earthly. He, he says trouble, hardship, persecution. These are all the things that we have to live with on a daily basis. These are the things that we are confronted with, that we have to physically, mentally deal with. These are the things that are right in front of our faces. And we get stuck there. And we go, oh man, this guy's gonna do this to me. I'm gonna lose my job. This person's saying this. This is gonna happen. And I can't step back. And then what does Paul do? But Paul says, no, 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 we have to move to the higher plane. We have to move to the spiritual. Because he says it's not about the, the physical things that happen to you in this world. But he says it's death. It's the demons. It's the present. It's the future. It's the past. He says that these things, all of these things, that if we step back for a moment, I can now see all of what God is doing. And I go, I may be afraid, but now I can see God working. 
But again, too often, we are standing with the problem right in front of our face. And if we could just step back in those moments and say, what is God trying to do? We will see the good that God is working out for us. Now, that, that's just the knowledge piece. If we can do that, that's part of the process. I get it, God. The next time there's a problem, I just have to take a step back. Now, don't get me wrong, guys. It doesn't mean whatever is happening is necessarily going to get easier, but we will have a different perspective about what's happening. Okay? So again, I don't want to dismiss the reality of pain and struggle in our lives. But when we look at it from a different perspective, we handle that much differently. And so if I understand that and I have the right perspective, what do I do with that now? Well, now we turn over to the book of Matthew. And in Matthew 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am, Simon Peter? He answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so he's asking this question. He says, Jesus is saying to Peter, he says, what are people talking about? Who, who are people saying I am? And, you know, they go on and say, well, some people think maybe you're like John the Baptist or a prophet or maybe Jeremiah. And then he asks the pointy question. He says, yeah, but what about you? What about you, Simon Peter? I want to know what you think about me. And he says the most accurate and truthful statement. You're the Messiah. You are our Lord and Savior. And Jesus says that, that Simon is what I'm going to build my church upon. That foundation that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when I build my church, you need to understand something, Peter. The gates of hell will not prevail. It will not overcome what I am trying to do through this church. And I'm going to give you the keys that, that whatever you open in this world will be open to heaven. And whatever you close in this world is going to be closed to those individuals. What's the purpose of a gate? A gate is to either do two things. One, it either keeps things in or it keeps things out. A gate we often would find on castles. And a castle is a defensive stronghold. And that's the other place where we get mixed up with our problems. There's a guy that wrote a book, and he talked in his book, he called it Fortress Mentality. 
And someone read this book and had a comment about it, and I thought this was really good. And, and here's what he says. He says, I fear that he is right, that the church is more concerned about nurturing itself than it is reaching a lost world with the gospel. We are more concerned with our own self-image than we are with the salvation of the lost. We seem to be more caught up in safety and security than in faith and obedience. We persist in constructing programs which protect us from the pagan world in which we live rather than to penetrate it with the good news of the gospel. In the name of edification, the home and family, we have preoccupied ourselves with ourselves. This is the problem. We often feel like Satan is on the march. We often feel like it's the forces of darkness that are marching in, and we are the ones that are stuck in the defensive fortress trying to keep Satan out. And we got it wrong. I was in a conference down in Atlanta, and as we were pulling out of the conference on the very last day, we we're getting ready to drive back to the airport, literally coming down the road the opposite way were thousands of people in a march. And at, and at the front of that march were some guys with some assault rifles to protect the group. And it was a pro-choice march. And I thought to myself, why does it seem like the things that are against God is what gets the most amount of people out? I thought, why is it not that us as Christians are on the march? Why do we always feel like we are the ones on the defensive and we are constantly the ones being persecuted? It's almost at times like we're just waiting to die. Because if we took the word of God seriously, we should be the ones on the march. We should be the ones assaulting the gates of hell. We should be the ones trying to liberate and free people from the bondage of their sins. But instead, so often we're holed up just hoping nothing bad happens to us. And God said, that's not how I made you to live. You are more than conquerors, guys. This is the job of the church. We are not to be afraid. It should be Satan who's trying to keep us out from getting the people that he's enslaved. That's the way God designed it to be. But there's a little bit of a difference here in the world, again, and from the church. Because so often when we talk about this idea of, of war, right, we, we picture violence and weapons and guns. And God said, oh, I gave you that stuff, but it's going to look a whole lot different. Because he said, there's two things that I've given you to go out and to liberate the people from the bondage of their sins. And he said, the first thing is the Holy Spirit. When Christ left, he said, I'm going to send another helper to you. 
I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit to reside within you. And in Acts 1 it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be his witness. And 2 Timothy 1 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. He has given us the very same spirit that has, that has cast out demons. He has given us the very same spirit that has, has made the lame to walk and the blind to see. He has given us the very same power of the Holy Spirit that can bring men from the dead back to life. That is the power that we have that resides in us. God didn't say, go out in your own strength. He said, I will give you my power to go out and to go forward. And then he said, I'm giving you the keys, guys. I am giving you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Keys open and shut, do they not? They, they, they allow things to be prohibited or they, per, they permit people from doing something. And so he says, listen, your keys are the gospel. Because what's going to happen is this. You're going to go forth and you're going to proclaim my name. You're going to proclaim a, a, a sinners who are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ that have been washed away by his blood on the cross. That's what you are going to proclaim. And when somebody chooses to embrace that, they have opened the door to the kingdom of heaven forever. But if someone has rejected that, then they have chosen to shut that door and the door to heaven. We don't save people. But we bring the message of salvation to people. And he says, that's your job. This is our job as the church, is to liberate people. To help liberate people from their sins by pointing them to the scriptures and to a God who loves them and has died for them in the state of their sins. Those are the keys that we have and no one else in this world does. And so as I've been trying to address the sense of fear in this sermon series, again, my hope is for us to realize that, guys, for all the fears that go on, for all the things that make us worried in this world, we are, we are, God has given us a bigger purpose than all of that. God is calling us to live for something more than that. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous hand. I listened to John Piper talk about this verse, and I thought it was wonderful. And, and he, he said this. He said, when, it, when Isaiah says, I am your God, what he says is, God is over you. And then when he says to you that I am with you, he says, God is by your side. And then when he says that God will strengthen you, what that means is God is inside of you. And when he says God is going to help you, that means God in every circumstance is going to be there for you. And when he says God will uphold you, he said God is under you. So essentially, what did he say about God? He said, God is all over. 
God is all around you. He's over, he's under, he's outside, he's front, he's back, he's in you. It's like we're in this protective bubble that is the hand of God. And he says, now I'm going to send you forth into this world to do what I called you to do. And so when God is calling us to go forth into a world that hates us, we shouldn't fear. The past two years, they've taken a toll on this church. They've taken a toll on our faith. It's been hard. And so what, this is what this is. This is a callback to the church. This is a callback to every member of the church of God all around the world. And this is a callback to the members of Penn Valley Church. To say, if we have been stuck in a world of fear, it's time that we put that fear aside and do what God called us to do. It's time that we put this fear aside and we start living in a boldness and a courage to speak and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And instead of us being on the defensive, maybe, maybe it's about time that the forces of darkness and sin and Satan fear the church. This is, this is not a call to political action, please understand me. This is, this is not a call to social justice right now. This is not a call to, to COVID and mask mandates and, and, and abortion and BLM. This is a call to the church that says the only way we will liberate us from anything that holds us back is to proclaim the salvation of Jesus Christ. And so this is, this is the challenge that we have, including me. The next time you are in a position to proclaim Jesus Christ, you seize that opportunity. Don't have that regret that says, I wish I would have, but I was too afraid. Instead, what we should be saying is, Lord, I shared it with them, and now I pray for your spirit to save their soul. Let's pray. Father, we, we preach a heavy message with this. Because it's easy to stand here in a pulpit. It's easy to proclaim in the safety of the, inside the walls of this church that we need to fulfill your mission. It's a lot different when we go outside and we have to look ridicule, embarrassment, loss of employment, loss of friends, loss of family, loss of life, loss of privilege, loss of freedom in the face. But Lord, we can't be afraid. Lord, we shouldn't be afraid. You have told us. Lord, your word has proclaimed to us that you are with us in all circumstances. And so my prayer is for each and every one of us this week, Lord, give us an opportunity. Give us that moment where in the quietness of our minds, we are hearing your spirit say, now this is your chance to share the gospel of Jesus Christ.
And I pray, Lord, that when the nerves get going and the palms get sweaty and, and we start to feel our heart beating, God, that your spirit would empower us and encourage us and push us to that moment that the words come out of our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of all. Father, may we be a church that is known for your hope, for your love, for your redemption, your grace, your mercy. Let us as a church, Father, be the ones on march for your glory forever and ever and always. Amen.